everyone, and welcome to The National Report, episode one. This is Richard Spencer, your host, and what an inaugural episode we have. Uh, joining me today are Paul Gottfried and John Derbyshire, who is known, of course, as Derb to his <laughs> friends and detractors. <laughs> and uh, uh, b- before I... Um, uh, before I bring them into the conversation, let me just give them uh, introductions, although they probably don't need any introductions for our listeners. Uh, John Derbyshire is a contributor and columnist at vdare.com and Talkies Magazine, talkymag.com, uh, my old stopping grounds. And uh, he is the author, uh, most recently, of two books, uh, We Are Doomed, a uh, modestly titled uh, uh book on modern life, uh, as well as a, uh, a recent collection of essays called From the Dissident Right. And uh, you can find both of those, I assume, at Amazon, and you can find the, the latter, From the Dissident Right, at vdare.com. And uh, he's also the author of uh, a couple of books on mathematics, um, which I suggest you read. Uh, also, I'd like to welcome Paul Gottfried. Uh, Paul is an emeritus professor of the humanities at Elizabethtown College. He is the author, most recently, of a book on Leo Strauss, called Leo Strauss and the American Conservative Movement. And he's also the author of a number of texts, which are required reading, and these include um, uh, Conservatism in America, um, Multiculturalism and the Politics of Guilt, after liberalism, uh, an autobiography, um, and uh, I could go on. So it's uh, it's a great pleasure to have both of you uh, on today. So, uh, John, I'll begin with you. Uh, how are things uh, over in Long Island? I, I was just quietly wondering if, if, since you mentioned that I'm commonly known as Derb, shouldn't Paul be commonly known as Gott? Well, no, that, that means God in German. So I'm not. I'm not sure we should be uh, increasing Paul Gottfried's ego by <laughs> my me with the deity. <laughs> Although I'm sure he would appreciate such a uh, sentiment. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm glad you could fit us in, John, because I'm sure you were uh, instructing Sunday school uh, today uh, on Sunday. So I. <clears throat> Yes. Uh, well, I, I would just—I was just browsing the uh, the blogs before we started, Richard. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing we might discuss—it doesn't have to be up front—but we might just discuss the, the seeking for some cheer in the rich wine affair. I just saw, for example, hmm. uh, one of my favorite blogs. If you don't mind um, strong language, is uh, Chateau Hartiste, which is a um, a, a, a game blog. It's, it's a, an offshoot of the uh, the uh, what's called the manosphere. Uh, By game, uh, you're referring to poker, or no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> how, how to pick up women? Uh, one yes. of those blogs. But, but it's much more intelligent than that sounds. Yeah, no, I agree. And and and, and basically on our side, it's it's yeah. dissident right when mm-hmm. it when it ventures into those areas. And he was discussing the rich wine affair and saying that there's there's a positive thing, there's a bit of cheer to be drawn from it. Mm. In that, rich wine did not really apologise. 
That's true. And he was kind of he was kind enough to mention me and, and point out that I also did not apologise. So at, at least um, at least we've got some people here who are who are just standing their ground. That that's his argument. So he's, he's finding some cheer in that. I agree. Uh, Richwine didn't didn't apologise. I think also these purges are a little bit different now in the sense that there's so much alternative media out there that you know there, there are all these different blogs, but as a as in they outweigh National Review Online. So I think in some ways there's a kind of interesting uh, dialectic, if you will, where you have uh, uh, most of the mainstream circling their wagons around mm-hmm. uh, it's good to purge him. I mean, there, there are obviously some exceptions to that, but more or less that's the case. But then you have this massive alternative uh, sphere, the dissident right, the alternative right, and not just mm-hmm. the right, who I think see it in a completely different way. Uh, and I think in some ways we're kind of outnumbering uh, the gatekeepers. Maybe you could say you could say that. So there is some uh, some uh, little bits of hope uh, in all this. Um, I, I, I think there's probably a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I feel embarrassed uh, claiming there's hope, uh, sort of given my, my usual... Uh, <laughs> Dark pessimism about the world, but it, seem, it seems to me if you look at two recent purges, John's purge, the purge of John, mm-hmm. and now the purge of Rich Wine, what distinguishes them from earlier purges um, is that there is a good deal of opposition to the purge, yeah. uh, these purges, which uh, uh, is expressed in conservative circles. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there were certainly people who came to John's defense. Uh, even within the conventional conservative movement, when he was purged. Uh, in the case of Richwine, his being purged was simply a mistake. It was a faux pas committed by a silly, stupid Southern Republican named DeMint, mm-hmm. who was terrified of being accused of racism because he was a Southerner. Uh, and therefore, as soon as the Washington uh, Post began to bitch, he kicked this guy out. Mm-hmm. But doing very well for a dissertation that he had written years earlier, which was accepted by predominantly liberal committee at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Now, immediately, a whole bunch of conservatives or sort of movement conservatives, Republicans, even a National Review came to Rich Wine's defense. Now, when I got bounced out in the 1980s, hardly anybody came to my defense. Yeah. No one came to So Brand's defense. Uh, when other people, uh, when the John Birch Society got kicked out in the 1960s, uh, they were simply considered kooks. Um, although Buckley kicked them out for opposing the Vietnam War, uh, they were subsequently denounced as anti-Semites and he kicked out because of their racism. Now, that, now, this kind of thing is unlikely to happen anymore. Uh, I, I don't think uh, the purges are as... Uh, unanimously accepted as they once were, mm-hmm. and I think even within the present conservative movement, you get opposition to the purges, um, which uh, uh, which is often expressed. And this, this was true in John's case. This is even more true in Richwine's case. But I, I think that's tr- I think that's true, and that dovetails what I said in terms of the alternative sphere, the dissident right being totally against this and and, mm-hmm. and outright making fun of the conservatives for being so PC. But mm-hmm. don't you think there's a the, the conservative movement, the mainstream movement, the DC conservatism is getting more and more PC. I mean, they they seem to just be outdoing themselves. So there's maybe two countervailing movements. 
Um, well, I, I, I think, but they're also looking to their right. Yeah. They're, they're noticing there's a disaligned right, an alternative right. There are even some libertarians who are sick of them. And therefore, they have to play a balancing act, hmm. which was not the case 30 or 40 years ago. Uh, I mean, another right. thing is, when they, they were no, the gatekeepers, you know, they, yeah, there was that, only but, National Review and a couple well, other things. Well, that's right. Now and there was Bill Buckley. Buckley yeah. And I, I, I think, oh, sorry, Paul. Go ahead. I, I think there's also a, um, a slow rising tide of fed upness <clears throat> with the orthodox right that even, I think, uh, um, perhaps I'm trespassing into too much optimism here, but I think you could, you <laughs> yeah. could say it, it, it's even expressing itself in, in the, in the uh, political sphere with all the people who did not vote for the Republican presidential candidate last November. Hmm. But all, all the conservative people who did not vote for him, I mean, mm -hmm. look at the numbers. So I think there's a, a lot of people are homeless. A lot of people are politically homeless. And hmm. um, perhaps we can make ourselves their home. Mm -hmm. they, they, they feel disconnected from the GOP. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, they have nobody to vote for. They have nobody to support. So I think that's uh, that's another little ray of sunshine here. Wow. This is... Uh... This is this conversation is the exact opposite of what I expected. I I expected to be passing out cyanide capsules by the end of the right. podcast, but you know now we have. I'm just getting sunshine uh, blown in my face by you two. It's uh, it's crazy. Uh, let me ask uh, an interesting question. I'll, I'll I'll direct this first to Dur, but uh, Paul can pick up on it. Uh, what do you think about the future of HBD? And, um, you know, I think we both recognize that over the past five years, the HBD sphere, and uh, let me just, uh, I'll, I'll say this, what I'm referring to is the idea of human biodiversity. I believe Steve <laughs> Saylor coined that term. Uh, but you could, it's certainly connected with another term like race realism. It's a idea that the study of human nature has great effect on society and culture and that you should be looking for, say, evolutionary clues in order to think about um, uh, culture and society. I, I would say maybe that's a good definition um, for HBD uh, writ large. The HBD sphere ha is, is a totally alternative sphere. And But it has been mushrooming over the past five years. I mean, it's amazing. There are more HBD blogs than I could possibly read now. And that was certainly not the case, uh, say, five or six years ago. And it's, and it's kind of, in, in, at least in America, it's in a very interesting position where, you know, we've had race denial and we've had human nature denial on, on the part of the left for years of, you know, because in the, from the, in, in the left's imagination, you know, you are a blank slate. You can be turned into anything that you want to be or the state mm -hmm. wants you to be. Uh, and so there's a natural tendency that, say, the study of human nature would find a home on the right. Uh, but that's not really the case. I mean, if you, if you look at the explicit statements from heritage, it's kind of like, we believe that all men are created equal and mm -hmm. you can be whomever you want to be kind of stuff like that. So I guess the question, uh, and I'll ask it to, to John first and then, and then Paul, uh, where did you, HBD, it is clearly a, a growing movement and it's a movement that really attracts smart people. And, but where do you think this will find a home or do you think it, it, it won't find a home on, in, on the political sphere? What do you, what do you think about that question? 
yes, it's an interesting question. I'm, I myself think that we're heading for some kind of a crisis here. Mm-hmm. As, as, you've, as you said a few minutes ago, PC uh, and, and the denial of human nature uh, seems to get more and more intense. Mm-hmm. Peter Grimlow has a, a nice phrase that I, I, I like. Uh, he, 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 call, he refers to an interglacial. I once, I once tallied up in one of my columns, I tallied up all, all my books, all my human nature books, mm-hmm. uh, uh, books concerned with these issues of race and uh, group differences and so on. I had about 50 books, and I just put them into categories by date of publication. And there was a, mm-hmm. a big flurry of these books from the mid to the late 90s, and then it dropped off. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was the interglacial when it was okay to talk about these things, or at least much more okay than it was before and after. This was the period of, you know, the bell curve and the Thernstroms, yeah. all these people writing mm-hmm. these books about these things. So there was a little interglacial there, and it's, and it's, now, it's now, the glaciers have now advanced, and, uh, and, and PC is more intense than ever. And yet, at the same time, on the other side of the chasm, we're accumulating more and more data all the time. Yeah. I, went th- I went through the references in uh, Jason Richwine's uh, Harvard dissertation. Uh, three quarters of them, three quarters of the references in that dissertation were from later than 1990. Hmm. Now, if you go to the... Uh, some of the left-wing blogs, or the comment threads especially, the people arguing against rich wine, to the degree that anybody is actually arguing, are citing things from, you know, they're citing the, um, the, 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 the Henry Goddard study, which was 1913, mm. or they're citing Cyril Burt, who, who ceased academic work in 1951. Mm. <laughs> right, right. They, they, they're going way back, and I... I, I said in one of my columns, "Do these people drive Stanley steamers?" <laughs> that was a um, <laughs> that was a steam steam powered automobile from the 1910s. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, we, so the, the, the chasm is widening from both sides. On the one hand, the, 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 the human nature deniers are getting more intense in their in their efforts to shut down speech about this, and on the other hand, we're, more and more data is accumulating about human nature. So there's, there's got to be some kind of crisis, and, and uh, the thing about a crisis is you never know what's going to happen afterwards. It's a kind yeah. of singularity. I, I speculated in a... I, I gave a speech to CPAC last year uh-huh. where I speculated that the left may actually go HBD. It's kind <laughs> of their natural home. So um, that's, that's one thing that might happen. And it's not an original speculation with me. It's, it's uh, I think, Hernstein... Uh, put it forward back in the 1970s, but that's something that might happen. Yeah, I've noticed that I can often talk to uh, self-described liberals about things like HBD and even, I would say, a kind of light version of eugenics in the sense of it's a bad thing that more intelligent people aren't having children. And you can talk and kind of get a breakthrough with a lot of liberals and and where I think sometimes uh, conservatives... Um, particularly religious conservatives, just, there, there's almost a, a brick wall forms immediately once you even dip your toe into this subject. So, um, but th- that would be interesting. Um, I don't know if that will happen. Uh, Paul, any any thoughts? Yeah, I I agree with everything that uh, that Derbis said. Uh, there there is a kind needs to be a kind of growing contradiction between scientific evidence and what people. 
uh, are expected to believe, particularly in the academic community, mm-hmm. uh, in, o- in order to show that they, uh, that they hold sensitive political views. I think at some point this conflict is going to, or this contradiction is going to lead to, uh, uh, to an explosion. Um, and it'll be very hard at that point simply to help, you know, to uh, create newer and more grotesque forms of Lysenkoism uh, mm-hmm. in order to deny what seem to be genetic differences uh, among individuals and groups. Uh, but beyond that, I would say, is that there is something absolutely ludicrous about something which calls itself the right or the conservative movement which accepts the sort of universal egalitarianism. Yeah. Uh, the right. I, I. I have to say, I'm writing this piece. I was asked to write a piece by Modern Age of what is right and what is left. And the first thing that comes to mind about the right is the right is not egalitarian. The yeah. left is egalitarian. Um, so it, it is absolutely um, uh, unbelievable that the right speaks about you know, the interchangeability of all human beings and ideology, pushes an ideology of human rights, global democracy, um, positions that uh, I would identify with the left and even with the far left. Um, uh, it, it is it's strange to me that this book by Sowell um, is being uh, celebrated in all these conservative publications, and what it does is restate the views of Jared Diamond. Hmm. Uh, expressing geographic, and then sort of mixing it up with some nonsense about blacks are uh, uh, on average younger than Jews or something. That's why they don't do as well. But of course, you can ask, uh, you know, just totally invert that and, and say, why is it, you know, that certain groups uh, control their sexual desires, uh, uh, get ahead, others do not? And, this, uh, and one could argue that this is rooted in biological difference. Yeah. Um, but of course, Sol never does that. Well, I mean, the, the, the point is, the, the point it would seem to me is that the contradiction is both ideological and scientific. There, there's a certain point at which um, you cannot push what are quintessentially radical leftist ideas as true conservative values. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always a right. You know, uh, something like 29% of Americans, according to Fox News, believe that the present system can only be changed uh, by violence or some kind of counter-revolutionary action. Now, I assume, though, that 29% does not consist um, of human rights ideologues or people who want to spread democracy all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume many of them do believe, you know, in essential human differences. Um, uh, another, another thing that seems to be um, a problem um, is trying to uh, speak of a right which does not believe in particularity, it believes in universalism, and one that believes in universal equality, because those are the defining positions historically of the left. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm not sure that, that the left necessarily holds different positions. I think these are largely overlapping positions. But to the extent that we have a right, um, I can't see how those who represent the right, the real right, uh, would be in any way embarrassed by human differences. Um, including socio-biologically rooted differences, but there just doesn't seem to be a real right in the United States. I mean, it... well, no, no, it's it's not, it's not it's not a visible right in the sense that it's a big political party. Yeah, but there certainly are lots of people on the right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But it, it's we're not organized and we're not you mm-hmm. know in the Beltway having some kind of effect on the two-party political system. But, but the other thing I would I would add is that. <clears throat> 
what happened to Rich Wine was a fluke. Um, okay. If there had been somebody else in charge of Heritage Foundation, uh, other than this gutless Southerner kissing up to liberals, he probably would not have been kicked out of his job. Hmm. Um, uh, you look at all the people who weighed in on his side afterwards. Michelle Malkin, who, by the way, attacked Haley Barber, another gutless Southern Republican. Yeah. Um, National Review um, weighed in on the side of, uh, of Rich Wine. Um, there were very few people within the conservative movement who attacked him after this happened. Um, uh, Heron, not Heronstein, unfortunately he's dead. The other, the other Charles one, Murray. Uh, uh, Charles Murray weighed in on his side. So, you know, it, uh, what, what was done to him was not, uh, was not widely approved even within uh, conservative movement circles. Yeah, just, just two points there, Paul. I would rather take issue with, with your uh, idea that uh, the political left is 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 um, fundamentally and essentially associated with uh, these these doctrines of innate equality. One of one of the big talking points on the on the orthodox right, mm-hmm. um, uh, Jonah Goldberg made a book out of it, is that if you look back at the at the um, ideological antecedents of modern liberals, you get the early late nineteenth century, early twentieth century progressives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were associated with, you know, things like eugenics and uh, a belief in in fundamental and essential inequalities that could be corrected by social action. Um, uh, so it's it's not quite that cut and dried. And in fact, I think we um, we on the what I call the dissident right might look back at the progressives and some of the things that they were putting forward and saying. Yeah, they kind of got it right, didn't they? Yes, but the uh, the, the, the problem I think is is that the progressives um, do in, 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 uh, foreshadow the dissident right more than they foreshadow the current left. Hmm. Um, this is something that I go into in several of my books: uh, the discontinuity between the the progressives uh, and the current left. There's more continuity between the uh, or more of a connection between uh, fascism. And the progressives than between the progressives and the current left. The current left really is passionately egalitarian and universalist. Progressives were not. Yeah. Uh, they just believed in a strong state to carry out what they understood as scientific reform. And among those scientific reforms was the introduction of, of, of eugenics. Yeah. Uh, the, the other point I wanted to make is that um, over the horizon, all, all these things we're talking about are very much a part of the Western world, and I think perhaps even particularly the Anglosphere. Mm-hmm. And over the horizon, you have uh, a, a major rising technological powers who don't have these kinds of issues that we have. Uh, yeah. so, so that's that's also going to be a, a growing factor over the mm-hmm. next decade or two. You think the Chinese, uh, well, I think it's, yeah, it's obvious the Chinese would be much more interested in these things. If you if you look at something like the the Beijing um, Genomics Project, is that what it's called, the Genomics Institute or something like BGI, that? BGI, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and they are actually looking uh, very intently on the idea of what makes uh, heritable genius, hereditary oh, yeah, they're, genius. They're very they're, concerned. They're, do, with they're doing a they're doing a huge uh, GWAS, a, a genome wide association study, um, and and. Although GWASs have kind of got um, a, a not very stellar reputation, as, as uh, one of the BGI people pointed out, that's because they, 
they've never had a big enough sample to work mm. from, and you get better res- mm-hmm. you're going to get better results as the sample size increases. A very good place to read about this is 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 Steve Shu's blog. That's mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. last name is S H S U Shu. He's he's a Chinese American, and he's involved in the BGI project, and he he blogs mm-hmm. very intelligently about it. At I think it's called Infoproc. But if you Google Steve Shu, you'll you'll find it. Uh, so yeah, that that that's uh, that's happening, and uh, and we're going to know much more in the in the near future, um, and it, it it's just going to get harder to deny these things. Yeah, you know, maybe one could say that as America begins to decline as a world power, uh, this uh, this let's say 20th century Americanist ideology of we're all created equal, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, America should, you know, be all, uh, the whole world should be democratic and so on and so forth. Uh, that maybe as that begins to wane as well, there'll be new openings for the dissident right and we'll be able to take on new forms and, and find new allies and, uh, well, well, but, but all, all, it seems that all of Eastern Europe Oh, yeah. um, it stands outside of this global democratic orbit. Um, I mean, a country like Hungary under Orban has an extremely right-wing government. Yeah. The Slovaks have these neo-fascists uh, uh, who are you know, part of their, their governing coalition. Uh, just about every Eastern European country, every country that was under the former Soviet bloc is politically well to the right of the United States and Western Europe, which form a kind of, you know... Uh, uh, Anglo-Western European liberal democratic bloc, mm-hmm. um, but and of course the, uh, Russia itself has been, I think, perhaps minimally affected by the ideas that we've been deploring. Yeah, I mean the the Soviet Union ironically uh, formed a kind of uh, barrier against uh, mm-hmm. cultural Marxism. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> they're good Marxists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway. Um, Gentlemen, why don't we put a bookmark in this discussion? Uh, but I would love to uh, take it up again because there is a, there, there's a lot more that we uh, we should actually talk about. But um, anyway, I, re- I really enjoyed this, and uh, I'm sure our listeners will too. So uh, I'd like to thank you both for being on the program. Well, thanks for having me on, uh, Richard. It was fun, yeah. and thanks for having me on from rural Pennsylvania. All that. <laughs> so we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.